morning. How is everyone? That was another terrible good morning. You guys clearly don't practice this at all. Good morning. That's better. I figured even Crossroads people could appreciate this. All right. Thank you for letting me back this morning. And uh, it's good to be with you. My name is Sean Swingle. And this is the, the third and final week that we'll be doing this series on discipleship. Uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. I've greatly enjoyed being here together with you. And I uh, appreciate you coming back these three weeks. Um, I do teach a class called Crossroads that meets at the 9 o'clock hour here at the church. And uh, just consider this your open invitation to come and join us anytime you'd like. Uh, we would love to have you. It meets before this hour, so you could actually come to Crossroads and make it back here for this service. Um, so we're at the we're at the nine o'clock hour, and we meet over on the ABF Hall, kind of directly across the campus that way. And uh, we're upstairs in the first room on the left. I think it's two hundred one, um, but you can't miss us. You'll probably hear us before you see us because we're kind of loud and, and rowdy in there. Um, but we would we would love to have you come join us. This is your open invitation. Please come see us, and if you do stop by. Um, I'm usually somewhere towards the front. Um, if you do stop by and, and visit sometime, come introduce yourself. I, I would love the opportunity to meet you and uh, just kind of welcome you and introduce you around and let you get, get to know some people that are there. Um, you'll probably see some familiar faces, um, some people that are here. And I did not prep my microphone well because it is causing me consternation. Consternation is the vocabulary word for today. There will be a quiz later microphone consternation. All right, we're going to go with that and assume that God will be gracious. Okay, so here we go. Let's review a little bit about where we've been. So the first week I was here, we began by talking about what is discipleship? That was the question that we asked. It was Discipleship 101. And the answer to that question is that a disciple is really simply someone who follows Christ. If you're here and you are part of the family of God, you are in fact, a disciple. And we've talked about how you may or may not be a good disciple. You may be a, a terrible disciple. But if you are in the family of God, that is your identity. You are a disciple of Christ. Um, we all go through situations where, where we need to learn. And so we've talked also about how discipleship is the process where one Christian is showing another Christian how to, how to think, feel, and act like a Christian. Right? That's what discipleship is, the process of being discipled. The outcome of that exercise should be that you begin to think, feel, and act more like a Christian. And so when you begin driving a car, someone has to teach you how to be a good driver. When you leave high school and transition into college, you have to learn how to be a responsible college student. When you get a roommate for the first time, somebody kind of has to show you how to be a good roommate because otherwise you, know, you make a big mess and expect somebody to come clean up after you and you know that doesn't make for a healthy living environment and so someone has to kind of show you how to be a, a conscious roommate and how to be a nice roommate the same is true of the christian life when you become a christian someone needs to teach you how to live like a christian and that's what discipleship is and i think the sad thing about many people in their church experience is that they're taught the bible but they're never actually discipled Many of you, you know, I, I know your experience. You've grown up in the church. You know, that, that was very much my experience. I grew up in a church. I was in a, a Christian family and went to church all the way through Sunday school from, you know, you know, I was in the nursery all the way through when I graduated out of their high school program. You know the Bible. You've been taught the Bible. You, you know all the stories. You know the Bible answers. But the question is, where in the church has someone taken that, 
knowledge of the Bible that has been poured into you and then taken that and, and translated it into this is how you live. Right? This is what it means to be a Christian college student. This is what it looks like to live like a, a Christian husband or a Christian wife. This is, this is what it looks like to be a Christian father. So I think in the church we do a great job of pouring in Bible knowledge. We, we put you in classes and give you experiences where you get to know your Bible well. If someone would ask you who Esther, Ruth, you know, maybe Joab. Joab's my favorite character, so I know that one. But you, you, you know who these characters are. You know these stories. You know who Jonah is. You know who Daniel is. You can quote references about each of these people. But do you know how to live? Do you, do you know how to take that knowledge and, and use that Bible information to become more like Christ in day-to-day, moment-by-moment events that happen to you. I've been blessed in my life to have three to four godly older men who have, for a very strategic period of time, met with me and, and discipled me and showed me, you know, here's, you know, let's talk about what it means to be a, a man. Let's talk about what it means to be a, a Christian man, what it means to think about a career and a career path and a vocation. Um, what are you going to do with your life? You know, these men talked to me about more than just let's study the Bible together. We did a lot of that, but we had conversations about work and, and, and dating and how to, you know, look for things that you want to find in a wife, right? You know, I was, I was thinking about on the ride over here this morning. We live in Stanford, so this is a significant amount of time I had to think this morning. But I was thinking, you know, we were riding here, and every Sunday we make this trip back and forth to church, and it's a solid 35, 40-minute trip back and forth to church. And the whole time, my wife sits in the passenger seat, and she just talks to me, right? And so, man, what I want to tell you is find yourself a girl that talks because we are terrible at it. We don't talk at all. And so find yourself a wife that's going to talk to you because otherwise there's a whole lot of dead space in your life, and it's just quiet. So find a wife that's going to talk to you. You know, I, I did that. My, you know, my wife talks, you know, a lot, and she does a great job at that because I'm awful at it, and I know you're awful at it. So find a girl that will talk to you. That, that was free. I'm totally off script here. Sorry. <laughs> See, ideally, discipleship should, ha- should start in your home. It should start with your parents. Your mom and dad should be the first ones to disciple you. But unfortunately for many, that's simply not the case. That hasn't been your experience. You know, I, I mentioned I, I grew up in a Christian home, um, but for most of my teenage years, that wasn't actually my experience. Uh, my parents divorced after 25 years of marriage. I was 16 when they divorced, and so for you know the the, the bulk of my time after that, you know, it was it was up to these other godly older men that kind of poured into my life because there was this void there. I was kind of left adrift without you know a lot of other influences, and I was a terrible person. I made all sorts of bad decisions. Um, but these, these older men kind of came along beside me and, and, and helped me through that. Friends, if I can leave you with one thing from these three lessons, from these times that I get to spend with you, it would be that you need those people in your life. You need a person in your life that's going to come along beside you and teach you those things, because that's what actually matters. That's where all of this Bible knowledge that you've been accumulating for years and years, where it becomes important is where it impacts how you live, right? You're, you're all here and you're at a point of, of time in your growth and your development where your decisions start to really have consequence. You know, you're, you're at a time where things really start to matter. 
you would be remiss to take the gifts that God has given you and other people in the church and say, I, I don't actually need that input. I'm going to figure this out on my own. These other people that God brings alongside you are, are gifts from him to teach you how to do this well. And you would be remiss to not take advantage of them. And so if you take nothing else from, from the time that I've gotten to spend with you, it would be that. Don't avoid those opportunities. Go out and find those opportunities. Seek out older men, older women who are going to disciple you and, and teach you how to live like a Christian. And then last week, we answered the question, what should a Christian know? Right? If we expect a mechanic or a chef to know certain things in order to be a mechanic or a chef, why don't we have similar expectations for a Christian to know how to live and act like a Christian? We should, we should have an expectation that there's this body of knowledge that you're supposed to know if you are going to be someone who follows Christ. We have exams in school that you have to take and pass before you can move on to the next grade, but somehow we allow people to grow up in the church with no expectation of all that they're going to actually be progressing in their knowledge of Christ. You, you get this free pass in your spiritual education you know, moving all along and growing up in the church without any expectation that you're actually growing and learning. We don't do a good job of measuring these things. We don't do a good job of, of seeing that you're being brought along in the faith, and that's, that's a sad thing. The point last week was that every Christian, no matter how long you've been saved, should be growing in three particular areas. And those three areas were your knowledge of the Bible, your understanding of doctrine, what you believe to be true, and your spiritual habits. And so we took some time last week to kind of unpack those three things and why those three things matter, why it's important that you um, should focus your attention on those three things. Ask yourself, what do you know today about the Bible that you did not know six months ago? What area of doctrine have you learned more about in the last six months? Have you learned more about salvation, sin, the church? Last things, right? The doctrine of last things. Where are you growing in what you know? Or in the last six months, what spiritual habits have you focused on? What have you been working at? Right? Are you working on Bible reading and prayer? Or, or what other habits are you beginning to work on? You're going to help me out there. Thank you, brother. Blessed is the man who helps me with the microphone. Thank you. So my encouragement to you was to use these three things as a way to gauge your heart, right? What is your level of interest? That was bothering y'all more than it was bothering me. Wasn't it? You were watching me struggle, and I could feel your pain. Like, please fix that, someone. Thank you. But I would encourage you to use those three things to gauge your heart. What is your level of interest in growth towards spiritual maturity? And I think you can look at where you're growing in those three areas and say, I, I have no interest in growing in those things at all. Like if I'm honest with myself, if I look at the last six months, I haven't learned anything new about the Bible. I haven't studied anything about doctrine, and I certainly haven't worked on any habits. I've been distracted with other things. Use that to kind of gauge where your heart's at. Are you, are you really committed to growing in your spiritual life? Do you, do you spend a proportionate amount of time developing your spiritual appetites as you do your other classes that you take at school? Right? I think for, for adults, do you spend a proportionate amount of time 
learning and developing and growing in your spiritual life that you spend growing and developing in your career path. I'm not saying in equal parts. I'm just saying it should be represented somewhere. It should be proportionate. Focusing on these three things is a great place to start. This morning, I want to continue on that concept of growth and ask the question, how do you know if you're growing or not? How can you tell? All throughout your life, you're going to get evaluated. You'll be tested. And the purpose of these tests is to show that you're growing either physically or mentally. When you were little, your mom probably took you to the doctor, and the doctor would check your height and weight to make sure that you were growing as expected. If a baby isn't gaining weight the way that they should, it's a sign that there's a serious problem with that child. There's, a, there's something going on. In severe cases, it's called failure to thrive, right? The baby is not thriving. They're not growing the way that we would expect them to grow. That's a serious problem. It's very dangerous. When you finish a class in college, you probably have a final exam. There's something that the teacher gives you to say, did you learn this material or not? Right? They want to know that you actually learned the things you're supposed to learn. Right now, out in the job world, people are going through annual reviews. That's where your boss evaluates your work for the year. I know I've got people from Crossroads that are in HR, right? All of those reviews kind of wind up in the, the HR office. And your boss kind of sits down and asks you, and he says, all right, tell me what you did this year. And if you're sitting there saying, well, watched a lot of YouTube, uh, turn my computer on every day, right? Your, your bonus and your raise and your salary and all of those things are kind of tied into how that annual review goes. You know, they're, they're evaluating your performance for the year. And if that review and performance doesn't go well, you may not be invited back next year. And that's a bad thing when it's your job, right? My point is that you get evaluated all the time, but somehow in our spiritual lives, we have no mechanism in place to measure if growth is happening. We just assume that people are growing the way that they should, but we don't ever actually measure it. We don't take the time to evaluate whether or not a person is growing. What if we treated surgeons the same way that we treat our spiritual life, right? A surgeon gets to the end of their education and we just assume that they've learned what they needed to know. And then we turn them loose to go operate on patients. But in reality, that surgeon never studied. They partied on the weekends and they slept through most of their classes. You would never want to let them loose to go operate on someone. They're not qualified. They would kill people. But when it comes to growing in our spiritual lives, we just assume that everyone's okay and that they're growing the way that they should. We, we don't ever test and evaluate if, anyone's, if people are growing or not. We have no mechanisms for that. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is to talk through a model of spiritual growth. These are five stages that a Christian should be progressing through as they move from being born into the family of God all the way through becoming mature in Christ, right? growing throughout their entire spiritual life. As we talk through these stages, recognize that growth is never a straight line for the Christian. You're almost certainly more mature in some areas than you are in others. You're going to grow at different rates throughout your life. You're going to grow faster or slower in different areas. Growth doesn't come without setbacks. You're, you're going to grow forward for a while, and then you're going to fall backwards for a time as you make progress. And the purpose of evaluating is to show that you're making progress in the right direction, to show that you're trending in the right direction in your spiritual growth. And so I would encourage you, as you listen to the descriptions of each of these stages, try to find yourself on the list. 
as I describe the stage to you, ask yourself, is that me? Do I meet those descriptions? Is that who I am? Try to, try to place yourself in this list. All right? So the first stage is spiritually dead. And that actually is a chalk outline of a dead person. Uh, if you ever try to demonstrate a dead person without using a chalk outline, it's really, really difficult. So that is, in fact, a, a chalk outline of a dead person. But the first stage is spiritually dead. In Ephesians 2 and in Colossians 2, Paul describes our position before we are in Christ as being dead in our sins. Right? We are dead. People who are in this stage have not yet come into the family of God. They're not yet disciples. They, they need to hear the gospel. They need to be granted repentance from their sin. That may be you this morning. You may come here week after week because really, to be honest, these are nice people to hang out with. They do fun events. You get to go do some really cool stuff and they treat you kind of nice. It's, you know, this is a great place to come on a Sunday. You may have been pretending to be part of the family all this time, but you know in your heart that it's not real. What I would say to you is find someone this morning and talk to them about this. Let them help you. I am confident that anyone here from Crossroads would be more than happy to have that conversation with you. They would love to sit down and talk to you about what it is to repent of sin and to follow Christ as a disciple. I know that Noah or Courtney or, or any of the other leaders would be more than happy to sit and talk to you about what that is, what it is to follow Christ. But before Christ, we're all dead. We're dead in our sin. And I think it's important that we keep this image in mind. Think about the last time you were at a funeral. Some of you may have never been to a funeral. So just think about a dead person. Right? What were your expectations for that person? Did you expect the, the dead person to say the right thing? Did you expect them to act the right way? Of course not. They're, they're dead. You, you look at that dead body and you expect them to just be a good dead guy. Right? You know, stay there in the box. Don't freak us out. Don't, don't do anything weird. Just be dead. Like that's, that's my, all, my only expectations of you are to just be dead. Your expectations for them are really low. And I say that because often we have unrealistic expectations for the spiritually dead people in our lives. You can look at a dead person and expect them, or you can't look at a dead person and expect them to act in spiritual ways. You can't look at someone who is spiritually dead and expect them to love God or to love his people. You likely have some unsaved friends, or if you don't, you should get some. They're wonderful. You, you may have some unbelieving parents or unbelieving siblings. Stop expecting them to act like Christians, because they're not. They're dead. You should have the same expectations of them that you would the dead guy. Right? You're dead. Act dead. That, that's my only expectation of you. They need to hear the gospel. And so the key growth point for someone in this stage is to be introduced to Jesus. At every opportunity, they need to hear the gospel. They need to be introduced to Christ. You should continually be praying for their salvation. But that's, that's the first of these five stages, spiritually dead. The second is the infant. Right? 1 Peter 2 describes these persons as newborns who still require a mother's milk. They're, they're spiritually alive, but they have no growth. They're hungry, but their understanding is limited. And so in this stage, a person's focus tends to be all about themselves. They have no capacity to see beyond their own needs. They, they approach the spiritual life very much as consumers. What can I get out of it? What can be done for me? 
And so the danger at this immature stage is that in their hunger, this person may fall prey to false teaching and bad doctrine. It's, it's important that they're given truth and guidance because they're very hungry and they tend to consume everything, right? They don't have the discretion they need to not believe false teaching and to be able to filter out bad things. Again, think of the expectations you would have of a, a physical infant, a baby. They're there to consume time and energy and resources from their parents. They have a voracious appetite. They're always hungry. And selfishly, they tend to insist on having their needs met. And they're very vocal about it, right? When my needs aren't being met, I'm going to let you know about it. I don't know if you've been around a lot of babies, but babies aren't interested in making your day any better, right? They're only interested in making their day better, right? It's, 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 it's kind of like a puppy. We have a new puppy in our house, and that puppy doesn't care if I sleep at all. You, you know, she wants to go out when she wants to go out. There's nothing wrong with being a spiritual infant. Some of you may not have been saved very long here this morning. You may have just come into the family of God. This is, this is you. You're a spiritual infant. You're brand new at this, and you're figuring it out. There is nothing wrong with that. However, there's a lot wrong with staying in it. Your focus when you're in this infancy stage should be on growing and, and becoming mature, moving out of the infancy stage. Next is the child stage. Paul often refers to the people in the church he has founded as his children. They're the, the people that he's brought into the faith, and he's their spiritual father, and he feels responsibility for them. People in this stage are continuing to grow in their relationship with God, but they're also beginning to have relationships with other believers. As children, they're still very self-centered and focused on having their needs met. They may change churches a lot while they try to find the right fit for themselves, something that will meet their needs. Remember, a spiritual child may have been saved for only a short time, or it may be someone who's been saved for decades. Time does not equal spiritual maturity. Right? Sitting in a church pew does not magically make you grow in Christ. The, the number of years that you've been in the family of God does not equal to the amount of maturity that you have. I, I've met a lot of older saints who have been in church for decades who, when you talk to them about the Bible, doctrine, and spiritual habits, are exceptionally immature. They've, they've never grown up. They're still very much spiritual children. People can get easily stuck at the child stage and not advance past it. It's, it's easy to get comfortable here. The reason for that is when you're a child, again, very little is expected of you, right? People don't tend to come to you with big, weighty, heavy things. They don't ask a lot of you when you're a child. The expectations are very low. And, and so for a spiritual person, it's really tempting to get stuck here. Because the expectations are low, I can show up and consume, and I don't have to actually contribute anything. So I, I would say that the majority of people in the church can easily get stuck here. You find a lot of saints, you know, of any age bracket that are spiritual children. The primary need for a spiritual child is for strong relational connection to other believers. The goal is for them to move beyond the need for a pastor or a teacher to feed them. And they need to move on to interacting with other Christians for growth. 
They need to move beyond a self-centered faith to one that sees themselves as part of the larger community of believers. The child needs to see themselves as part of the family of God. One of the reasons all of these people from Crossroads have been coming here these last three weeks is to physically demonstrate to you that you're part of the larger church because I think it's really easy for you to sit over here in this little corner of the building and say, yeah, this is us and this is who we are and, and not actually see that there's a whole church out here that really cares about you and who you are and seeing you grow in Christ. And so there's a large part of Crossroads that are here just to show you that you're, you're part of the body of Christ and we care about you and, and we really want you here. Don't, don't see yourselves as just kind of stuck off in this corner and identified with, you know, we're, we're college students and that's who we are. No, you're, you're part of the family of God. One of the big things for the child is to see themselves as part of the broader family of God. It's, it's not so much about me as an individual. It's me as part of this group, and together, corporately, we're growing to be more like Christ. The next stage is the young adult. These persons are actively making the shift from being self-centered to being God-centered and others-centered. They're more proficient at seeing truth in God's word. They're, they're able to study God's word on their own and apply it to their lives. But just like physical young adults move away from their parents' home and establish their own relationships, the spiritual young adult cultivates these relationships on their own as well with other believers. But it's not just having other Christians in your life for the purpose of hanging out with other Christians. The, the, the spiritual young adult is actively seeking other Christians to be around for the purpose of spiritual growth. Right? I have other Christians around me so that we can talk about what God is teaching me, what God is teaching you. And in that conversation, it sparks in me an appetite to grow. Because the things that... I had this conversation with a man in our class last night. He was talking about how you know, some of the most exciting times are when I'm sitting across from another Christian and they're telling me what God is teaching them. Because the whole time they're talking, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I need to grow in that area too. And, and it, it brings this appetite to life in me. And I say, man, I, I, I really want to learn that too. And I start to pray about it. And the Spirit starts to work in me in that area. That's why we have other Christian relationships. It's not just so that we can hang around Christian people because they're nice people to hang around with and they don't, don't drink, swear, and cuss, right? You hang around them because you want to become more like Christ together. That's the purpose of these relationships. When you come here on Sunday mornings, don't just come here to sing songs and, and hang out with nice people. Come here so that you can talk to other Christians and say, what is God teaching you right now? Wow, I really want to learn that too. It should bring to life in you an appetite for spiritual growth. The final stage is the parent. Ultimately, God is the only true spiritual parent since no one comes to faith on their own or through the work of another person. It's purely the work of God. However, I think the term parent is helpful here because in this stage, the person should be reproducing. Their focus should be on helping other people to come to faith and grow into maturity. 2 Timothy 2.2, there Paul is talking to his disciple Timothy and he's describing to him what a mature person looks like. And part of that description is that, Timothy, you're able to teach other people who are then going to go on to teach other people. That, that's one of the things that a mature person is able to do. The person in this stage 
personifies the student-teacher role, right? We talked before, um, a couple weeks ago, about how we're called as Christians to be lifelong learners. You never graduate from the class of God. You're meant to study God every day for the rest of your life as a Christian. When you become a parent, you start to see yourself not just as a student, but also as a teacher. And you start to look around at the other people who are coming behind you who may be less mature, who haven't had opportunities to grow in their faith. And you see part of your role as Christians to be a discipler of other people and to bring them along and encourage them in their faith. They take their own spiritual growth seriously. However, they're also passionate about helping other people to grow. So the question I want to leave you with for this morning is, where do you find yourself in these stages? Take a moment and do an honest evaluation of yourself. Which of these five stages are you at? The goal of discipleship is to take you from where you are and to move you forward towards maturity in Christ. That's, that's the purpose of discipleship, is to teach you how to think, feel, and act like a Christian. To help you to be a more effective follower of Christ, to do the thing that you were created to do, to glorify God with your life. That's the purpose of discipleship. Where do you see yourself in these stages? Are you, are you stuck? Do you need to reconsider where you're at and, and move forward? Take an honest evaluation. In order to move forward in your maturity, to accomplish this, you should work to have relationships with other people who are ahead of you in these stages. And then you should also work to have relationships with people who are behind you. You're called to both disciple people who are behind you and to be discipled by people who are ahead of you. Christians are disciples that disciple. We follow Christ, but we also help others to follow Christ. And so if I could leave you with one thing, it would be to just say once again, we are never, ever, ever called to walk the road of discipleship alone. You're never called to be a solo, on-your-own follower of Christ. You are placed into a family. The Bible talks about doing the spiritual life corporately together. You have resources spread all throughout this building that would love to spend time with you and help you to grow in your faith. You may have to go and seek those resources out. They may not actively come here and, and say, hey, I, I would love to disciple you. Let's spend some time together. You, you may need to go and ask that older man or that older woman and say, hey, you know, could we just get coffee next week sometime? I, I'd love to talk to you about what God is teaching you right now. A lot of these Crossroads people are here for that purpose. If you're sitting at lunch and, and you have that desire, walk up to someone that's here from Crossroads and say, I, I would love for you to buy me a cup of coffee this week. Right? They'll do it. I, I'll make them. But it may require you taking that first step. You may need to walk up and say, I, I really want to take my spiritual life seriously. I, I'm tired of sitting where I am. I'm tired of not growing. I know that I've got problems and areas that I struggle. Would you help me? I would love to, to meet with you and talk about this. Please do that. They would love the opportunity. So let me pray for you. And I want to, I want to pray a little different. So in Ephesians, in chapter 3, Paul prays 
for, he gives us a little glimpse of what he prays for the, the church in Ephesus. And I want to do that for you this morning. So if you're here and you're a student, college, high school, middle school, elementary school, if you're a student of any kind, I'd ask you to stand up. And, and we'll finish this way. So let me pray for you this way. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in his love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, all generations, forever and ever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. I could leave you with anything. I would just say you're not alone. You've been placed in a family. You've been given the Spirit of God. And there are people here who are invested and care deeply about what happens in your life. Thank you for the opportunity to come here. I have enjoyed this time immensely. I think everyone from Crossroads would say the same thing. We appreciate the, the invitation to just come and hang out with you for a few weeks. It's been Wonderful. I think many of us are going to stick around and do lunch with you. And so I think Noah's going to come and give us some instructions.